Also, we are in the second to last series, second to last message on Malachi. So it's been a great book. We've, we're going to wrap it up next week with communion and, uh, and go from there. But, so we're in the second to last message. So grab your Bibles and um, open up to Malachi or open your phone or whatever you got. And we'll, let's pray this morning and we'll seek the Lord. Father, as we come, we thank you. It's been a very good series. Numerous people have spoken to me, Lord, about how it has grabbed them, it has caught their attention, it has uh, in, induced a conversation with you on different levels, and that's absolutely fantastic. We can't ask for more. And so again, we invite your presence. We know you're among us, we know you're in us, but we invite your presence in a manifest way, freedom to go and talk to us on an individual way. We ask as we wrap up these last two messages that we will get what you were trying to say to that group of people and learn from their mistakes and we can course correct before we get there. And so we ask for this with your name and in your hope and pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So let's just do a a brief review off of last week just so we can remember where we were. Remember we talked about last week. It's not moving there. I got it on. Oh, there we go. Okay, thank you. Well, we said some principles that we worked off of. First of all, all wealth comes from God, right? We tend to think that we create wealth and and that kind of stuff. We cooperate in the process with God of creating wealth, but all wealth is God's wealth. And then those who know God... There we go. Thanks, Cam. Just those who know God should honor God, right? And so we're not talking about people who don't know uh, the Lord, who don't claim salvation, but those who do should honor Him as such. And therefore what that means is we honor God by giving the first and the best, right? Not the second or third, not the last, not the least, not that kind of stuff, but the first and the best. That just comes from that kind of heart. When we don't do this, it is called robbery. We are being thieves. We are stealing. Uh, I don't know if you like that moniker attached to you, but that's uh, what Scripture says, is we are stealing from God. And then the fifth principle is that God dares us to test Him in this. He says, I know how you feel. Test me in this. See if I don't come through. See if I don't provide in ways that you couldn't have accounted for. And I know certainly for Pam and I, we could say that has been incredibly true that um, God has more than given back anything we've given to Him. And it's been an amazing journey. Sometimes we didn't think we'd make it, and then God, and you're like, wow, how did we make it through that? So it's been an incredible thing. God has proven trustworthy in that. And then God also lays this promise, He will rebuke the devourer. You know, there's a lot of ways that you can lose your stuff. You can lose it through fire. You can lose it through water. You can lose it earthquake. You can lose it through wind. You can lose it through thieves. You can lose it through rust. You can lose it through moth. You can lose it. I mean, there's just a lot of ways stuff can go, right? Uh, you can lose it uh, just driving down the road. <laughs> it's pretty easy. And God says he'll rebuke the devourer, that he will keep it so that stuff lasts. And so those were the principles that we worked through that we'd come upon in Malachi. And this was... No, got to move it forward, Cameron. Sorry. Thanks, man. 
He says this, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Remember, it wasn't the idea that God needed food. It was the idea that when the food came into the storehouse, then the Levites had food to eat. They were freed up to serve in the, the temple so that the people could worship properly. And so the whole system depended on that. So it wasn't just that God was being greedy. He says, Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. Your vine of the field should not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So we were talking last Sunday and, and wrapping around this, we were talking about the spirit of a thank offering. And we said that a thank offering highlights the issue of thankfulness or gratitude towards God. And we talked about how important it is to keep a spirit of gratitude in our hearts for what God has done for us. Sometimes it's easy to forget. That it is easy when, when life gets hard, and it does, and it kicks us some bad circumstances, which it will, uh, to just let anger or bitterness or resentment or lack of forgiveness or anxiety take over our spirit and our life. Uh, I don't know if you've ever felt that crept up on you before. You could feel it at the door knocking. You sensed it wanted to grab you. And you had to be careful to stay in the Word and careful in prayer because you knew it was trying to get at you. Um, I think all of us can kind of relate to that. What we said is the reason we have to be on our guard against those is that they can bend us or harden us into a twisted wreck of who we really are. If you've ever watched somebody really get bent by bitterness, they, they stop becoming themselves and they become something that you almost don't recognize them after a period of time. And I'm sure names are popping into your head and faces right now as I even say that. But it, it can really, really twist us. God's word, both written and spoken, is designed to remind us to woo us, to draw us back to him. Right? Just, you know, when we talk about the Lord's Word, it's not just pop, 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 you've got to get it all right. It's the idea of He's trying to woo us back. Have you ever felt Him draw you when you're reading? I, I've been going, I got done early reading through the Bible. And by the way, we're going to kick up um, that again this next year. And if you've always wanted to take that challenge or you got this year and you didn't make it all the way through, or but we're going to start up next year and read through it again. But it, it's designed to woo us. But. Even though that's true, it doesn't always have that desired effect. Here's the really fascinating thing. When God's prophetic word comes through like a snowplow, it does one of two things. It either kicks you towards God or it kicks you away from him. Nothing stays in the middle. It either goes one way or the other. And we're going to see both expressions here in Malachi in just a few short verses. It's amazing the contrast. First, let's look at the kick away from God response. We'll get the bad one out first, right? Let's look at that one first. So if we look back at these promises and the verses that they come with, um, this is a tremendous promise. This is like, wow, okay. I wouldn't mind my wife, my life going that way. Okay, And so... Um, God is offering to totally restore them relationally, spiritually, maturity, uh, materially. 
And the, the plea is, just return to me. Come, come back to me. Let me be your father. You'd think they'd jump at the chance. Right? Instead, we get another dose of, what benefit would that be to us attitude? God even says that they've been hard on him. So when God says they've been hard on him, that's hard. <laughs> right? No pun intended there. I mean, that, that's pretty intense. Look at what they say. Can we click there? Thank you. It says, your, word is, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You've said it's vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. There's three charges or accusations that from the Lord's perspective really stung. And when he said, hey, your words have really been hard against me, there were three things they kind of really challenged. One was this, it's vain to serve God. Ah, yeah, you throw out all those promises, but the truth is you don't come through, and it's all in vain. It, it gets us nowhere. And that really stung or stings the Lord's heart when we say that. The second thing is, what profit is there in keeping his commandments or even appealing to him by weeping? What profit is there? And we sometimes approach God on the, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Right? If I come to church, you bless me. If you bless me, I'll come to church. If you don't bless me, I'm not coming to church. Kind of scenario. There's that, you know, prosperity kind of angle to it. Really, the Lord is his own reward. Uh, Jesus, you know, if you get Jesus, you got everything, right? And But what profit is there in keeping his commandments? Or by even appealing to him, by weeping. The insinuation here being, you can't move him. He's just a hard wad. He isn't paying attention. He's probably not even listening. What, what difference does it make if I even cry? Nobody's paying attention. And that hurts God's hearts because God says, he catches our tears and keeps them in a bottle. That he knows when our hearts are hurting and that he's compassionate and tender towards the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. And then they said this, the arrogant are blessed, evildoers prosper, they put God to the test and they escape. What do they really want to happen? They want evildoers to be put to the test and be schmucked, right? And if we saw evildoers getting schmucked, then we would follow God, but they're not getting schmucked. They're getting away with it. And it looks like they're having fun. That's not right. Right? And so we get, oh. And, and so here's the thought. The thought behind that, what they're saying is this. Holiness is kind of really worthless. It really doesn't help you. It really doesn't hurt you. Holiness, eh. You know, and, and maybe it's even counterproductive. I mean, I always thought, okay, hey, uh, maybe if I just do it God's way, I'll get ahead, but I don't seem to be getting ahead, and the people who aren't doing it God's way seem to be getting a lot ahead. Maybe holiness isn't all I cracked it up to be. Maybe they've got it figured out better than I do, and I should just start doing what they're doing because I want to get ahead. 
Can you, can you relate to that kind of thinking? That's what they're wrestling with. And God says, man, you are really being hard. And here's what they're really saying. You know, you know, Malachi, you throw out all these big threats, but the truth is, there's no difference. One God is the same as all the other gods. And I mean, seriously, what did we ever gain by serving Yahweh anyways? Really, that's the ultimate punchline there. What did we ever really gain by serving Yahweh anyways? And so they are saying this. Does this sound familiar? Right? We, we've seen this before. Do you remember how the book starts? He's, God comes and he says the very first verse. What does it say? I have loved you. What's their comeback? How have you loved us? Remember that? And then he goes on just four verses later a son honors his father a servant his master if then i am a father where is my honor and if i am a master where's my fear says the lord host to you O priests who despise my name but then they say well how have we despised your name right remember that and then it just keeps rolling by offering polluted food upon my altar but you say well how have we polluted you by saying the Lord's table may be despised. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them, or by asking, where is the God of justice? Notice, this is the second or third time this has come up in the book. Okay? For the days of your fathers you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And they come back with, how shall we return? I mean, it just goes on like this. Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes. Look at that list. This is the whole texture of the book coming up to these last couple passages here that we're working through. Now, here's the deal. This, what you see on the screen here, is not just unawareness. All right? This is not just... Uh, unwarranted simplicity. They're going, oh, duh, how have we, you know. No, 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 no. This is, this is actually contentiousness. Okay? They are contending with God. They are throwing it back in his face. You say this, but we're like, how? We don't think we have. What's your problem? They are actively opposing the Lord. They're playing dumb, but they're anything but dumb. What they actually are is guilty. Okay? You ever had a guilty conscience go back to when you were a teenager and you're trying to talk yourself out of something with your parents? Right? You knew you were dead to rights, but if you could just spin it right, you might get out and save your life by the skin of your teeth. This is what they're doing. It's a very sophisticated defense that they're throwing at God. He says, your words have been hard against me. Go to the next one, Cam. Thanks, man. He says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. And what's the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? These are not actually questions. These are statements. They come across as questions, but they're actually statements. 
And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. And so their offense is with the way God runs the system. We don't like your government. We don't like the way it's working. You don't seem to be on top of things. Bad people seem to get away with it. Good people don't seem to get ahead. That's all backwards. And so we don't like it. Can you hear the cynicism in that? Can, can you feel the jadedness? Right? These are not new people to the faith. These are people who have been walking a long time. Multiple, multiple generations have come through. Right? We know the story all the way from Egypt to the parting of the Red Sea, to the wilderness wanderings, into the promised land. They became great. They got schmucked. They got sent into exile because of idolatry. They got shipped back. They've had several ups and downs. And they're at the point where it's just uh, going to go silent now for 400 years. This is a jaded group. And what they're really saying is, what possible benefit could there be to taking the Lord seriously? Are you kidding me? We're way past that. We, le- we left that stuff a long time ago. It's not the godly who get ahead, it's the wicked. And here's what they're saying. If that's God's game, then he's really messed up both as God and as a father and we want nothing to do with him. You hear echoes of that in our culture today, right? Really, the attack is not about the system. The attack is about who God is really like, what type of person he's really like. And they're going after the character and the nature of God. Long gone and gone for good. How could you possibly expect me to come back to that? Are you kidding? That's ancient stuff. Nobody does that anymore. Just a, a, a pause here, a little bit of a rabbit trail. Ask yourself the question, where do you think those conversations took place? Right? When they were having these conversations, we made that list. Uh, where, where do you think that was actually taking place? In the public square, do you think that that took place at the temple? I don't think so. You know where these conversations took place? At home. They took place at home. That's where they grumbled. That's where they said these things. This is what they were really thinking away from the temple. At the temple, they looked like believers. At the temple, they followed ritual. But it was away from the temple where they really grumbled. What does this mean? Well, what it means is they did this behind God's back, so to speak. They mumbled behind the curtain. They didn't think God heard or could read their thoughts. Can you imagine their surprise when God lays it all out for them and tells them what they have been thinking behind his back through a prophet Malachi standing on a street corner? Like, whoa, how did you know we were saying that stuff? And I I just want to say this morning, it's a very good lesson for us. God hears, and God hears all the time. If we come to church all smiles, but go home and grumble in our tent, be very careful, for God hears all that is hidden. Right? But back to the main point. That was a rabbit trail. Sorry, I just thought I'd throw that in there for fun. This is called serious disappointment with God. Okay? They are really unhitched relationally in, in any kind of sense from the Lord. 
This is a soft heart gone hard. No longer flexible. Instead of better, they've gone bitter. And you can feel the resentment. You say all these things. We're nothing but a garbage pile of a nation. We're nothing but a garbage pile of people. The top? Ha! We've been at the bottom so long, we feel like that's our lot. But there's something else going on here too. As Shakespeare would say, Methink the lady doth protest too much. Why? Because they're blowing smoke. Okay? They're blowing smoke. And here's how they're blowing smoke. They're guilty and they know it. They're guilty and they know it. They have wandered far from God and have trespassed and transgressed in many ways. And they know it. So this is all defense mechanism, trying to keep God at arm's length so he doesn't crash in on them. And here's the other side of it. They like what they've grabbed. You get that sense? They like what they've grabbed and they don't really want to give it up. And they kind of really are resentful of God coming in and messing with that. What's the big deal anyway? Is that that big a deal? Why are you pestering over this? Leave us alone. We want to hang on to this stuff. This tactic is as old as the Garden of Eden. If I say to you, God, if I say to God, uh, you're not there, then I can't be judged. right? Because they have this distinct sense they're going to get judged and they don't want to be judged, so we just decide you're not there. And if I decide you're not there, I can't be judged. And since I don't want to be judged, then I choose for you not to be there. Simple as that. Thank you very much. This attitude is why the lights went out for 400 years. Because God got tired of trying to woo them back because they weren't responding. Jesus matches Malachi for intensity in answering back to this kind of frontal assault on the character and integrity of God. There's two things that really uh, irk Jesus. If you want to find two things that really ticked him off, just uh, read through the New Testament. There were two things. One, when they made accusations against his father, and two, when they made accusations against the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not do well um, when they did that. If you look at John... This is an argument here that he's having with the Pharisees in John 8, 39. He says, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works that your father did. They said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to him, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot hear my word. Now this whole context of this argument, if you read John 7 and 8, and you read the whole context, it's over who's legitimate. It's a a legitimacy issue. The Pharisees claim legitimacy by being descendants of Abraham. Jesus claimed legitimacy from having come from the Father. They claim he's a product of immorality and that he has a demon. Right? One, uh, an accusation against God. Two, an accusation against the Holy Spirit. 
When they say we were not born of sexual immorality, what they're really saying is, hey, buddy, (laughs) we know your story. We know about your mom. We know your mom and dad weren't married. Uh, We know you're illegitimate. So you want to talk legitimacy here? You're out. Don't you dare try to tell us we're illegitimate because we know where you came from. That's what they were really saying. And Jesus comes back with an equally intense assessment. He says this, well, you're right, but you know who your father is? Your father's the devil. He's telling this to the religious people of his day, the Pharisees, the rulers, and saying, yeah, you have a father, but it's not who you think it is. Your father's the devil, not God. Because if your father was God, you would be able to know who I am and you'd listen to what I say. That's why you can't hear me. Now, we tame that way down. That sounds very um, academic, right? Like a scholarly debate. I guarantee you if you were there, it wouldn't have felt that way. It would have been really, really intense. Uh, When you think about the Pharisees in this passage and you go all the way back to Malachi, what you realize is the apple didn't fall too far from the tree. That grumbling, complaining, fault-finding spirit had stayed with the nation all the way through that 400 years and is there even when Jesus uh, shows up. But there's a good response in Malachi, and that's what we want to end with this morning. There's a good response. Now, that's the negative response. We don't want to do that. But there's a good response. There was a group of people who were listening to Malachi, and they listened to what he was saying, and they listened to what he was prophesying, and they, they listened. Not everyone spoke hard against God. There were people who said, you know what, that he's telling the truth. We're wrong. We've, we've got a course correct. There were those who were listening. They were, they were those who repented. There were those who took Malachi's word at, that that was a word from God and that they had to take it seriously. So just as those, there were those who kicked away from God, there were those who kicked towards God. Okay? It's a fascinating thing. What kicks one person away from God is the same thing that kicks another person towards God. I've watched that and often marveled at that in life. In Malachi 3.16, he says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. It means they held it in high honor. They lifted it up there. Just as there was a conversation going on against the Lord, the grumbling in the tents, so there was also a conversation going on for the Lord. We need to hang in there. We need to lean back in. We need to go hard towards God. It says that they spoke to one another. So that means while all this is going on and this one group is contending with Malachi, the other group is going, wow, what do you think of that? I think he's telling the truth. Well, goodness, that means we'd have to do this. Yeah, it sounds like we would. Are we going to do it? Well, I'm going to. Are you going to? Yeah, if you're going to, I will. Right? Kind of pile in that kind of thing together. It says they spoke to one another, and it can be safely assumed from the context of Malachi and the rest of the Old Testament uh, that this was a minority. This was a remnant. It was the smaller group of people who sat and listened and said, we will fear the Lord. We will take the Lord seriously. 
while the vast majority was swinging away from the Lord and convinced themselves that it was a bunch of noise and rubbish, there was a group who took the warning seriously and made a covenant to be faithful to the Lord. And it says that the Lord paid attention to them and heard them. Okay? I like that phrase. I like that phrase a lot. That the Lord paid attention to them and he heard them. That is a key part of this passage. And then it says that a book of remembrance was written. Now, we don't have that book. Wouldn't that be cool if we did, though? You could open it up and read it, what, what they laid down. It was probably the stuff that Malachi and the different prophets laid out and that they said, thus spoke this prophet, we will do this because of that. Um, we don't know, but it probably had all the things that they had agreed to. As a covenant together, they came together and said, let's agree on what, what we think is right and what we think the Lord has told us. Let's write that down. And then if you believe that's right and that's true, sign your name to it. And they came and they signed their name. It was a book of remembrance. And it was signed by all who were in agreement. And, and it says of this group that while they were signing it, that they feared the Lord and they esteemed his name. In other words, they held God to be in first position, the highest of the high. And he is what life's really about, and he is his own reward. And if all we get is him, that's enough, and we will stay with Yahweh. Come hell or high water, we're going to stay with the Lord. And here's what's cool. The response from God was reciprocal. I like that side of it. I like when people take a stance and take a a position for the Lord and the Lord comes back and says, I am with you. Look at what the Lord himself says about this group and what he thinks of them. Can you lower the tail? It says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. They shall be mine. When God claims a group of people, it's a really powerful thing. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession... And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. And then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. In that phrase, they shall be mine. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I go, I want to be in that group. I want to be, I want God to say that about us. Right? I want God to say that about Northview. They shall be mine. Yes! I want to be in that posse. Where's the book? I want to sign it. Right? In that day when, and it says, in that day when I make up my treasured possession, in other words, God's in the process of putting this all together and it will all come together in that day. We've said before in Malachi, that's the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord has two stages to it. Day one of the Lord is when the Lord comes in the form of the Messiah. We, we're coming now uh, up to Christmas and why do we celebrate? Because God came. God came. He saw and he came. It's unbelievable. But there's a second time he comes, which is his second advent. Christmas is his first advent, but the second coming is his second advent. And that second advent is where it all gets put together. And God says, when I collect all who are mine, I'm just going to pull them all together. It's going to just get all pulled together. I will bring it together and I will pull them all together and I will spare them 
as a father who spares his son who serves him. This totally foreshadows uh, Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. It's just uh, both the oldest and the youngest son. I mean, it's just an incredible foreshadowing of that. And God declares, then once more you will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, the one who serves God and the one who does not serve God. But, and here's the key, not now, then. Okay, it's a real key. Not now, but then. Jesus leaves this same kind of impression in the book of Revelation. Let's roll that one, Cam, thanks. This is in Revelation 22. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who's filthy still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. In other words, it's all going to be going on at the same time. When the second advent comes and the Lord returns. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. And boy, if that doesn't scare you, nothing will scare you. Right? That picture right there, I will render to every person according to what he has done. Stop. Freeze that for a moment. Can you stand on the merits of what you've done? That's why Scripture says flee to the salvation that's offered in the Lord Jesus. Because it's Jesus' righteousness that makes us able to stand in God's presence, not our own. So we will either meet Him as Savior, or we're going to meet Him as Judge. But we are going to meet Him. And the question is, how? Will we meet Him as Savior, or will we meet Him as Judge? Behold, I'm coming quickly, my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Here's the point. God is still listening. And he still hears. God is still listening and he still hears. He knows those who fear him and esteem his name. And he's still faithful and true. And it says he will rescue those who are his when it comes time to make up his treasured possession. It's like he's putting it all together, like a big uh, jigsaw puzzle. He's putting it all together. He'll make it. But here's the thing for us. Till that time, we're just going to have to be used to it. Wicked people are going to get away with stuff. And we're going to have to be okay with that. We're going to have to go, you know what? If we can stop it, we try to stop it. If we can alter it, we try to alter it. But we can't get to a place of saying, well... Because wicked things are going on, God must not be listening anymore and he's not around, so I might as well do wicked things too. No, 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 no. Okay? If we've learned anything in Malachi, no. Please, let's not do that. What does it say here? It says, let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who's filthy still be filthy. Let the one who's righteous still practice righteousness. One who's holy. They're gonna, it's going to go on like this till he returns. And there won't be that much you can discern as a difference. When does the difference come? When he returns on the second advent. Then it all becomes really clear. Then it's too late. You can't turn a corner then. When's the time to turn? Now. What does the scripture say? Another part of Hebrews says, Today if you hear his voice, what? Don't harden your hearts. What were they doing in Malachi's day? They were hardening their hearts. But there was a group of people that decided not to. 
There was a group of people who said, no, we will move towards God. We will lean in. When it gets hard, when it gets difficult, when it looks like nothing's panning out, I'm going to lean in anyways. And so God's looking for people that will esteem him and lean in, not away. And that's, you've heard me use that language a lot. And I just want to say, Northview family, let's anchor tightly to these words. Let's be a group of people that leans in. Right? Pretty easy at Christmas. Everybody sort of leans in, right? Even non-believers. They just like the holiday. They like the music, right? They have to change the message. They have to take Jesus completely out of it. But they like the sentiment of it. Okay? But they don't like the idea that that little baby becomes Lord and Savior and becomes King of the universe and reigns and will call every person into judgment. That's not a popular part of the Christmas message. Just leave him as a baby. Don't let him grow up. Right? We, we don't care if he's got dirty diapers. That's a whole lot better than an adult. Just leave him as a kid. But Jesus didn't stay a kid. Right? We're, we're celebrating what? God came. But he grows up. So let's be a group that kicks hard towards God. Let's be a group that in our hearts we esteem him high and hold him in high esteem. And let's continue to be a group that gives him our first and our best, whether it looks like we're getting ahead or not. Why? Because God's watching. He's listening. He's keeping track. And he knows those who esteem him. And so as we come, we're starting to wrap up. We're going to do chapter 4 next week, one chapter in one Sunday and you'll, it's going to fit just perfectly, and it's going to launch us towards Christmas. But this morning, as we think about this, as we watch their response, it's so easy to be a grumble bucket. It, isn't it? I mean, it's just so easy to be jaded and cynical. Yeah, whatever, prayer, you know. Nah, yeah, read through the Bible. Yeah, go to church. It's just so easy to get bent by the attitude of the world and lose the appreciation of what the Lord has done, to lose the joy of what the Lord has done, and to lose the gratefulness for what he's done. And what I want to encourage is as you come through the holiday season, more than worrying about gifts and more than worrying about the season or are the lights up or are the trees up decorated right or that kind of stuff, Gratefulness. Are we grateful that he came? Do we hold him in high esteem? This group, one half of the group didn't, half the group did. Right? But it's the group that did that God noticed. Do you get the words there? Do you get what he's saying? I've marked it, what he's saying. I saw him. I heard what they said. I saw him. I saw what they wrote in the book, and I saw him sign. That will never be forgotten by me. That's cool. May we do stuff even just step-by-step step, little stuff, when you do stuff that never gets forgotten by him. And that we'd have his blessing, that Jesus would be his own reward. We don't need anything else. We got Jesus, we got everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this. Is, uh, I love where this book is going. I love how it wraps up. I love the thoughts behind it and what's captured in it. And it's a good reminder for us, Lord. We live in a crooked age where uh, evildoers are getting way ahead. We watch on the news, and really the news is about how everybody who doesn't follow God prospers. 
we never hear your name. We never see the benefits of holiness. Matter of fact, um, we're told that by staying with you, um, we're bigoted and judgmental and racist and uh, throw every other adjective you can throw in the book at it. And yet, Lord, you says you still mark it as to those who esteem you highly and those who don't. I pray, Lord, you will give us the resolve, you will give us the heart to hold you in first place. And we ask for your help in that. We live in a a beguiling age and, Lord, uh, a seductive age. And we ask that you would uh, preserve us and protect us in the midst of the season that says, Welcome, Lord Jesus, come. And we pray that you'd come and we seek you for that in your name. Amen.